Well, I want to I talk to you today about, uh, you know, you've heard this, this saying that don't lose your head. Have you ever heard that? Sure, you've heard that. Keep your head, don't lose your head. Well, that's the title of the sermon. Pick one, don't lose your head, keep your head. So I want you to know that I'm not saying that out of uh, arrogance or condescending way in any way. And to prove that, this morning I was getting ready to leave, and you know what the weather was like, and I couldn't find my car keys. And I'm trying to be there early, not really my thing, looking at my family, trying to be there early. I'm a little behind where I want to be. We have one set of keys for my truck, which I, I love, and I just got back from the shop. I can't find them. And Avery, my daughter, bought these little things. It has a remote that it'll beep so you can find it. Still can't find it. Looking everywhere. I go outside. I'm walking around. <laughs> can't find it. So I'm going to take her car. I get, and I go out, and I go, I was by the picnic table, and there it is, laying in the rain. It wasn't working. It was so I literally would lose my head if it wasn't attached, I think. Like, so just so you know, I'm not saying that in any way, in an arrogant way, or anything like that, condescending. So, with all that being said, my intent today is to encourage you that sometimes when you see things and you hear things that your little eyes see, that you would look to the head, look to Jesus. Remember Him, because He's the principality of all power. That's what our scripture says for today. So let's read that from Colossians 2, 8 through 10. Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men, according to the basic principles of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and you are complete in him, who is the head of all principality and power. So I have three main points. Number one, Satan has not changed. Number two, the heart of man has not changed. And number three, Jesus has not changed. So let's pray. God, I thank you for everyone that's here this morning in the building and those watching online, wherever they are and wherever, whenever they see this. Lord, I pray your word says that your, the word of God is piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit. And Lord, I pray for your word to be piercing hearts today because I know when that happens, you'll bring healing. God, please bring power, bring strength through your word and, and touch people's hearts and save people this morning, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. So, in our scripture here, first of all, he says, beware. So that's a strong word, beware. It's not like, hey, FYI, there's this. It's, dude, listen, you got to listen to me. Like, you really got to watch out. This is going on over here. Pay attention to what's happening right here. It's not just like, you know, hey, there, there's a little something you might want to be aware of. It's, it's, you need to take action, and you need to be thinking about what exactly is happening, what I'm about to tell you right here. So then he goes to philosophy. <clears throat> Excuse me. He goes to philosophy. So what is that? What is philosophy? Merriam-Webster de defines it in one way as a pursuit of wisdom, 
a search for general understanding of values and reality by chiefly speculative rather than observational means. So some people define philosophy as simply the love of wisdom or the search for truth. So that sounds like a good thing, right? Search for truth, that's, that's definitely a good thing. I would encourage that. So my first point, Satan has not changed. In the garden, he tempted men and women, man and woman, I should say, with the notion that they somehow could possess a form of godlike knowledge. Well, you can be like God. You can have the knowledge of good and evil. Okay? So that's how he begins his work with humans. And so in Colossians, in our text that we read, some people believe that there was someone called, there's a group called Neoplatonists. So Plato's famous philosopher. These were the Neo or the New Platonists. And here's what uh, they believed. The result of this effort was a grandiose and powerfully persuasive system of thought that reflected upon a millennium of intellectual culture. I feel like I should have a pipe and a beard and some spectacles. And brought, of intellectual culture and brought the scientific and moral theories of Plato, Aristotle, and the ethics of the Stoics into fruitful dialogue with literature, myth, and religious practice. That's from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. That sounds pretty, pretty lofty, right? Pretty high-minded. Pretty, these are pretty smart people. They must have something figured out there. So they're taking all, all the ideas of Plato and Aristotle, and they're bringing them together, and they're mixing them with culture and literature. So they really want to have, they want to understand truth and knowledge and wisdom. And, and another definition I have from Gnosticism, which is also be influencing these people in, in, in the, Colossa, the church of Colossians. Gnosticism in some form of Jewish mysticism taught that God did not deal directly with man and the material world. So he was up there, but he wasn't in, in, in my life. But that he dealt with the world through a series of mediators. And, but Paul, in his writings, took care to show that Jesus did the work of reconciling us to himself, by himself. That's from a group called Enduring Words. So Gnosticism taught God's up here, and he uses these other kind of angels to do his work, and he really isn't in my life at all. and He doesn't affect my life in a certain individual way. But, so we look at Satan at the beginning, and we look at Gnosticism and the Colossians, how they were being influenced. Here's what Ecclesiastes 1 says, starting in verse 9. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done, and there is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It's been already in the ages before us. Nothing new under the sun is, in, is from the Word of God. Maybe you didn't know that. Uh, people use it all the time. So, I want to say in our text, in verse 4 of Colossians, Paul tells them, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you with persuasive words or plausible arguments. So these 
these men, they're very intelligent, these men and women, they've come up with these great ideas. It seems to make sense. They seem like they could be plausible, like the Mythbusters put them to the test, right? Seems to make sense sometimes. And so when I say there's nothing new under the sun, in the 20th century, we saw the introductions of things, and I'm going to get past some of these big words, right? So don't think I'm going to be using all these big words the whole time. I don't want to lose you. Introduction of epistemology, logical positivism, positivism, non-pragmatism, existentialism, I can't even pronounce it, Marxism, phenomenology, post-structuralism. These are modern philosophies, okay, that have come about. Search for wisdom and truth. Psalm 111.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. All who follow his precepts gain, precepts gain rich understanding. His praise endures forever. So, what's, what, what, are you, what are you saying here, Kay? You're talking about all these philosophies, and then you go to the Bible. Well, there's a difference here. And in our text, if we look at, he says, I don't want anyone to cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit according to the tradition of men. That could be the law of the Jews, or that could be these other rules that we come up with, or according to the basic principles of the world and not according to Christ. That's the distinction here. It can be the philosophy of men, Plato, Aristotle, you pick it, Marx, or it can be Christ. The basic principles of the world, the tradition of men, or Christ. That's a huge distinction. But it's a subtle difference in many cases. So I'm going to move on to point number two. The human heart has not changed. Common thinking today in 2021 is that God is this sort of benevolent wizard of Oz who does not directly influence or interact in the daily lives of humans. Instead, he distributes his power and action through intermediaries, whether they are good people like Mahatma Gandhi or intellectual giants or wise philosophers, angels, pagan gods. It's something called, some people define it as moralistic, therapeutic deism. What in the world does that mean? So we have a slide to help us with that. Moralistic. We should be good, moral people. Here's where a big distinction is. Not born-again believers of Jesus Christ. Just, you know, good people. Well, I'm sure you've heard that. I'm a good person. I just want to be a good person. I just want to do the best I can. Therapeutic. The goal of this religion is to provide therapeutic benefits to its adherents, not to worship, adore, and obey the living God. God wants us to feel good about ourselves and have high self-esteem. And the deism comes in. Does any of this sound familiar? (laughs) This is 2021. God exists and created the world, but then kind of just leaves us alone unless we need him to fix a problem or provide us with something. God, the ATM, right? Hey, God, I need a little something. This is from a a site called adam4d.com, but it's a pretty good summation of what it is. But look at that. When I say the human heart hasn't changed, 2,000 years ago, the terms were different. (laughs) 
But the belief is not the same. I mean, it's, it's not any different, really, in many ways. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So when I say the human heart hasn't changed, it's no different from Adam when they were tempted by Satan and his subtlety than it was to the Colossians, and I'm trying to bring it to today. And in this world, in Indiana, Pennsylvania, moralistic, theistic deism. Here's what Ray Ortland had to say about this moralistic, therapeutic deism. It hardly requires our repentance or displays God's power, and it offers no hope. Only judgment looms ahead, but this false religion is widespread today. Therefore, God calls our churches to stand out as a clear alternative to this bland but popular fraud. So we have a lot of religion in America today. Some people call it cultural Christianity, just what I described. I go to church, I believe in God, I have a Bible on my mantle or somewhere, you know. I don't do this, I don't do that. I want to try to bring this to today again. How many of you are familiar with the term deconstruction? Raise your hand if you heard that, deconstruction. Okay. What it is is people, deconstruction is they lose their Christian faith. One of the prominent figures in public figure described it accurately in the Bible as falling away from the faith. Ironically, that term was initially coined, pointed towards Western philosophy, deconstruction of people like Plato and Aristotle. Now it's turned on Christianity. So that doesn't happen overnight. That doesn't happen overnight. And, and it's happening a lot in the younger crowd, younger people. And what I've seen and what I learned when I researched it is that and this is some polls that they've done in, in other areas where the young people that are turning away from the church, they see, they have a, we have a lot of religion. We have religion. We have, we have plenty of churches, even in here in Indiana. But the thing that turns them off is what they see at the church. What they see Christians doing. God help us. I mean that literally. God help me. If I've been a part of that, if you've seen that and it turns you off, I want to tell you that's not Christ. Look to the head of all principality and power. Look to him. We are just humans, us Christians. We mess up. Sometimes we make big mistakes. Deconstruction doesn't happen overnight. It's a subtle deception that gets you started or gets you thinking. And amazingly, what I see, some of the, these folks that are getting deconstructed saying some of the same things. They're not so much into sin and repentance, but God. There's a group called Casting Crowns, which I really like their songs and their lyrics, and they have one called Slow Fade. It's a slow fade when you give yourself away. It's a slow fade when black and white have turned to gray. Does that sound familiar? Thoughts invade, choices are made, a price will be paid when you give yourself away. 
People never crumble in a day. The journey from your hands to your mind, from your mind to your hands is shorter than you're thinking. Be careful if you think you stand. You just might be thinking. Sinking. <laughs> so I want to say that the reality is in Revelation 21.8, it says the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake which burns fire and brimstone, which is the second death. So there is a place called hell. I just want to be clear about that point. It's real. Jesus is real. Heaven's real. Hell is real. These, these heresies that were taught in Paul's day are no different what was taught to the Colossians than the tired, soft-pedaled teaching of today. There is, a ha- there is a hell. It's real. There are no parties in hell. We will not be enjoying our final destination if we ride the proverbial highway to hell that the 80s rock anthem proclaims. That's not the way it's going to be. I've been at funerals at homes and my friends are talking like that. I, I, I mean, in a way I wish it was, but I, I, that's not true. If you're really seeking truth and wisdom, seek Jesus. So when I say the human heart hasn't changed, there's a huge exception there. And that's by the body and blood of Jesus Christ. As Jason taught us last week from Leviticus, that when you put your faith in God, when you put your faith in Christ, he takes your heart of stone and he turns it into a heart of flesh. He gives you a new heart. That's the only way the human heart ever changes. When I say it doesn't change, I mean we are all born sinners, all of sin and fallen short of the glory of God. So I'm not bringing any judgment on you that's any different from anybody. I'm not bringing judgment on anybody, but we're all judged as we stand before God apart from Christ. What's really, what's really going on here? What's really, these are, these are, some of these things are different. They're philosophies. The Jews have their ideas about rules. What's really the difference here? What is happening? I think it's this. The great sin of man is autonomy. So Karl Marx has this idea of utopia where, hey, everybody come up here, put your money in a pot, and we'll all share it, and we'll all, it'll be great. It'll be a utopia. Everything will be good. We don't have to have somebody's rich, somebody's poor, everybody treats everybody the same. What's the problem with that? Anybody? What's, what's the challenge there? Doesn't work. Why? The heart of man is desperately wicked and deceitful above all things. See, it's heaven without God. That's what it is. Utopia. Heaven without God. The philosophers, they, they, they try to exclude God or they leave Him up there, way out there. You see the subtle deception? Oh, yeah, I believe in God, but He's over there. No. Jesus says, come unto me and I'll give you rest. In Jeremiah 17, Starting in verse 5, it says, Thus says the Lord, Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Cursed and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. He is like a shrub in the desert and shall not see any good come. He shall dwell in the parched places of the wilderness in an uninhabited salt land. That sounds fun. Blessed is the man who trusts... Okay, do you see the difference? 
Cursed is the man who trusts in man. Blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. That's the, according to the traditions of men, according to the basic principles of the world is the first one, and according to Christ is the second one. He is like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream and does not fear when he comes. For its leaves remain green and is not anxious in the year of drought. For it does not cease to bear fruit. Point number three. Jesus has not changed. Will not change. Jesus has not changed. The same Jesus that Paul was telling them to look to is the same Jesus today. That's so encouraging and refreshing, isn't it? When everything seems to be changing in our world. So in the United States, we have something called the Secret Service. You guys know what that is? Everybody thinks it does what? Protects the president, which is true. So their job is to protect the president and any former presidents and vice presidents that are still alive. But what people don't know a lot of times is they're also tasked with enforcing the laws of counterfeit money in our country. That's their job. So I have here, so when you look at the genuine art, they also study the genuine article so that when they see a fraud, they know it. It's very clear that that's not the real thing, okay? They study the genuine article. They know it. They know everything about it. So this is a crisp, clean $100 bill. I chose it because I don't usually get to touch these. <laughs> I don't carry these very often, so I was like, that would be kind of fun to have. Uh, so this is a $100 bill. I actually call it a Federal Reserve note, technically. And on the Secret Service website, if we can put that up, uh, there are, oh, no, no, not yet, not yet. Oh, I gave it away. I blew it. Ah. Okay, you probably saw. So there are things on here that tell us this is a real deal, right? You guys know that? Like what? Anybody have, no? There's some things on here that tell us it's not a fake. The blue strip right there, that's right. There's a watermark you can see. I can see through the light Ben Franklin's face over here. That's called the watermark. And in that blue strip, it actually has, if, you have, if you're looking at it close, it says 100, 100 to say it's a $100 bill. There's, uh, how many are there? Maybe you already saw. How many are there on here, you think? Ten. There are ten, actually. That's a, lot, that's a lot more than I thought. So if you can go ahead and put that up now, since I blew it. There are ten. So there's one over here. There's a little F6. That means this was made at the Federal Reserve Bank in Atlanta, Georgia. There are serial numbers on the upper left part. And then you can't see it real well. On the left, under a UV light source, there's another strip over here that you can't see unless you put it under UV that lights up. And they're all different colors. So a $100 bill is a different color. I think it's gold. Does it say that? No, red, pink. See, I was close. So anyway, there are 10 things that, the, that you can tell. So the Secret Service can look at this and they know it's, it's a fake or it's the real thing. So, why, why am I saying all that? Because I want you to do the same thing with Jesus. If we study the real thing, when someone comes along and says, well, 
God doesn't really interact with our lives or it's okay to worship an angel or you don't need to repent of your sin. You're not going to go to hell. You're going to go, wait a minute. That's not what Jesus taught. That's not what my Bible says. I don't know about that. I don't think, I, I don't think I'm going to go with that. Does that make sense? The real deal. There's nothing more genuine than Jesus. I can tell you that right now. I always think of that song, Messiah still and all alone, sitting in the tomb. I picture him sitting there, and he's ready to go. He's going to do the most mind-blowing thing that ever happened in all of history. What is he doing? What is he thinking? Is he going like, wow, this is cool? <laughs> or is he like, I would be like, yeah. Or is he just a smile, big smile, because he's going to walk out of that grave. <laughs> That's the real deal. So in our text, in, in, in verse 9, it says, All the fullness of, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's kind of like, makes your brain twist, Godhead, what's that? Makes me think of like strange movies or Godzilla. Godhead, Godhead. Okay, that's the uh, Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So in this case, in this place in the Bible, the, uh, the Greek, okay, so I'm going to go to the Greek. Don't get freaked out because I always say, ask my family, I'm always like, I have enough trouble learning the English, let alone these other languages. I'm just working on that. But I think it's important in this text to look at the Greek. The original writing is a word, theotetos. Did I get it right, Misha? Where's Misha? Yes, theotetos. We have Misha, who? Misha Sandin translates the Bible to people, for people who have never been able to read it in their language. So what a gift to have her. I, I asked her some questions, and she really, thank you, Misha. It's really been helpful to confirm. So this word, theotetos, is found in this place in the Bible, only in this one place. Nowhere else. Say it with me. Theotetos. Let's try it again. Theo. <laughs> okay, sounds like a game we should be playing at youth camp, right? They owe Tetos. Anyway, but it's not simply an attribute of God. It's saying the Godhead, not just an attribute of God or a collection of attributes like he's holy, he's just, he's love, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent. It's not just one or two things or those things. It's the very essence of God himself dwells in the body of Christ. This is different. This is different than anywhere else. Any language that's written about Jesus anywhere ever. This is the most definitive language about him and his power and what people call his sufficiency, his all-sufficiency. All that God ever was in centuries that have passed, all that he is in this present moment, all that God will ever be for the eternity to come exists in the person of Jesus Christ. Yeah, hallelujah. One man, one God, everything, all the power of the universe. I think of like all the hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, all that power, he could tell it to stop in an instant. It lives in this guy. 
He walked the earth, and he rose, and he's, 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 he's in heaven now. It could be Ryan Smith. Imagine if it was Ryan Smith. All that power right there. <laughs> but it's Jesus Christ. That's the one. Not only does the word not appear anywhere else, the root word, I learned this from Misha, doesn't appear anywhere. The root of that word doesn't appear anywhere else in the Bible. So what does all that mean? In 2 Peter 1.3, it's talking about Christ and how God, he created everything. God, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. All that power in Christ has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he was granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So, because of Christ and his divine power, we become partakers of that theotetos. All that power. So this is his godness. That's a word that theotetos could be translated into godness. All of his godness, the essence of God himself, found in this one person named Jesus Christ. All the covenants that Jason taught about last week, all the promises of God from Adam to Christ and beyond allow us to be partakers because of the godness of Jesus. That's who we are when we put our faith in Christ. Hebrews 1 in verse 3 and 4 says again about Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person. He's the express image of God and upholding all things by his word of his power when he by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels as he by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Some people were telling the Colossians to worship angels. So that's, uh, you see that in, in our culture sometimes too. So he's the radiance of the glory of God in that section and the express image of his person and he upholds the universe by what? The word of his power. So that's the godness of Christ. Also in our text, it says, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily and you are complete in him who is the head of all principality and power. So, when we are complete in him, we're relying on his final words at the cross. It is finished. It is finished. And then he sat down. He rested from his work. Don't always feel complete, do we? Sometimes you don't feel like you're complete in Christ. You feel like things aren't great or they're not good. But I just want to remind you that in spite of your feelings... Just like it says, because of his godness, we're complete. The work is done. It is finished. If he can sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high, surely we can rest in that work that he has done. Anyone know the scripture about 
the peace of God which passes all understanding. You guys familiar with that? What comes right after that? Anybody know? Guard, Tim has it, yeah. Philippians 4, 7. And the peace of God which, passes, which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So when we rest in his godness, we rest in that we're complete and in faith in him, it guards our hearts and our minds. We have peace. Your heart and your mind are guarded by that. Get near the end here, folks. <clears throat> Revelation 21 and verse 5 through 7. Then he, this is Jesus, who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. And he said to me, Right, for these words are true and faithful. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. He who overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Here's what Tozer, A.W. Tozer, Aiden Wilson Tozer, he, he, he lived not too far from here, you know that? Tozer says, an infinite God can give all of himself to each of his children. He does not distribute himself that each may have a part, but to each one he gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Ah, even a homeschool mom can't do that. <laughs> They're amazing. They're like, yeah, are you doing your math? You're on this. The dog needs to go out. There's an appointment at three. What do you want for dinner, honey? <laughs> but God, he gives all of himself to each children, not as if he can only give you so much. He gives it all to every single person at one time. He gives all of himself as fully as if there were no others. Because of the godness of Christ, we can trust in our completeness in Christ. At the beginning of the chapter, in Colossians 2, Paul says, For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all those who have not seen me face to face. He's never even met these people. But he's telling them to beware that they don't get deconstructed by Satan's subtle temptations. It's haven't changed. They changed the phrasing. They changed the terms, but he's never changed. He's just trying to get you on that slow fade. I've seen most of you face to face, and I have a great struggle too. We as pastors, I'm not officially a pastor, but the guys that are pastors here, they have a great struggle. They don't want to see you fall away. They want for your, that your hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Don't lose your head when you hear things that sound like they might be plausible. Just look to Christ. Some of you, you might be tempted to feel like you're not complete. That God has some re for some reason abandoned you because of the way life is going. 
because of something that happened to you. This is another temptation that Satan throws out. God doesn't really care about you. He wouldn't let this happen to you. Why is he letting these bad things happen to you? So David was the chosen to be the king, invited into the king's castle, hunted down by the king who invited him originally. This is what he says in Psalms chapter 6. I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with weeping. This is the anointed one to be king. Man after God's own heart. So that same guy in Psalm 23, he was trusting in the completeness of his salvation. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's what he said. I have one more example, and then we'll be done. Genesis 21. I don't have this in the notes, guys. So Genesis 21. So Hagar has this son born of sinful decisions, and eventually <clears throat> Abraham casts her out, and he sends her with some water and some food into the desert, and the food's out, and the water's out, and the little boy's dying, and she can't watch, so she takes him, say, way over there, and puts him by a bush, and she sits down because she can't see her little son die like that. She says, let me not see the death of the boy, so she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. Verse 17 of Genesis 21. And God heard the voice of the lad, and the angel of God called to Hagar out of heaven and said to her, What ails you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Arise, lift up the lad, and hold him with your hands, for I will make him a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the lad a drink. So God was with the glad, and he grew and dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. God hears our cries. Even though this was a result of some sinful decisions, God loves you. God cares about you. If we look to the head, if we look to the head of all principality and power, we can be complete in him. Not only today, not only tomorrow, in the good times, in the bad times, in all times, forever and ever and ever in Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for these wonderful words that Paul wrote that you gave to us that all that you are, all that you've ever been and all that you ever will be was found in the form of Christ when he was here and as he rose again, as he died on the cross, Lord. Thank you for your grace toward us that you would put our worth and our unworthiness on the cross and deliver us from sin, Lord. Thank you. I pray that you would change hearts, save hearts, heal hearts today by your spirit, Father, in Jesus' holy name. Amen.